faith works. This is the message of James, that we in our own ability cannot stand in the face of adversity. We could never find the strength to trust without faith because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved, without faith, without works. We too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute, and it's faith that causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. Now we're starting in on this brand new series titled James. Throughout this series, we will be looking at the, the book of James found in the New Testament. Our goal is to really is to better understand the bond between faith and works as we press on to take the land in Jesus' name. Now, a few months ago, we, we launched into a series um, called, titled, Take the Land. It was all about how every step that we take, God has already given us that land for his kingdom. Now, I believe that as we look to transform ourselves and our church with God, we have to lean into the idea that we're still called to take land. We're called to go on the, the offensive, go on uh, with some aggression, with some passion, with some, some fierce attitude, with, a, with an idea and a realization that faith and works have a unique bond together. This book or letter was written by James, James is known to be the half-brother of Jesus. And here, this brother, half-brother of Jesus, is writing to the early Christians during a time of persecution in order to provide them with some practical instructions for living out their faith. So the church has come under fire. They are, they are being persecuted. Maybe, maybe some of you feel persecuted when somebody just says, no, uh, I'm not going to attend with you, or I don't really like that. Can I tell you that, that this book of James really speaks to how we ought to live in and out of struggling hard times. Now, his letter is profound because it echoes Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. It's from that Sermon on the Mount that we see uh, James begin to unfold and to teach and to really, like I said, echo or mirror the teachings of Jesus. James addresses problems like pride, discrimination, greed, lust, hypocrisy, worldliness, and backbiting. His case for writing is extremely clear. 
It's clear that following Jesus is more than a commitment to a philosophy. It's a commitment to a new way of life. Actions are a result of faith. Faith by itself isn't enough. And we'll read that in chapter 2, verse 17. A good tree bears fruit. True faith is expressed through good deeds, self-control, humility, wisdom, fairness, patience, and prayer. Now check this out. True faith often publishes itself or shares itself in a life filled with good works, strong character, and fervent prayer. Although James didn't follow Jesus before the resurrection, he, he wasn't one of his closest few the whole time of his story. He, he was kind of uh, disconnected, watching from a distance. Although he didn't follow him before the resurrection, a resurrection he, he quickly became a leader in the church and was the head of the Jerusalem church, the church of Jerusalem. Many Jewish Christians, they, they left Jerusalem shortly after the man named Stephen was stoned to death. They, they fled in fear. Stephen was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. Now, as persecutions intensified, many believers, they, they scattered uh, across the known world to create Jewish communities in Judea, Samaria, uh, Phoenicia, Syria, Cyprus, and beyond. Go now and make more disciples. He says, you will, then he says, you will receive power when you become my witness in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what we see in the book of James has already begun to happen. These early Christians needed to know what a lifestyle of active faith looked like. So James' letter, it does just that. It gives way to the fact that every aspect of our lives should testify, should scream, should promote, should share, or, or maybe even publish that we are followers of Jesus. What we say how we treat others, how we spend our finances, how we exhibit humility. Others, those that are far from God, those we encounter every day, should be able to see Jesus living in our lives. You know, there was a, for a while there was this kind of this wave of, of every church was really leaning into the word of transparency. We gotta be transparent. You would hear it every single service you went to, no matter where you went. It seemed like every leader and every church was really using that word heavily. Be so transparent that, that people see, see who you really are and know your story. And, and you would have these pastors that say, it's okay to be so broken that people know all the details. And, and can I tell you, I don't know about all that. But what I do know is I want my life to seem so transparent that they don't even see me anymore. They only see Jesus. That's hard to do. It's, it's really, it's near impossible. But when we begin to put our faith and works together, when we begin to live out loud for Jesus, it becomes easier with every step to where eventually people, they see you, but they really see Jesus. It's almost like we're a window. A window that when people look through it, they see the Savior. We, we should aim to be so authentic, so real with who we are, but so, so closely knit tight with Jesus, that people can see us by the way we live our lives. Now, in this series, we are, we are going to be examining our lives through the lens of James' writing. Now, this is more of a teaching series. Um, when I preach, I tend to close my Bible a little more and, and, and give you the commentary that God's downloaded to me. But this series is very specific in the fact that we are going to break down, almost in its entirety, the, the book of James, chapter by chapter, the next few, the, the next few weeks. 
So doing that, we all have to understand that we have to read some scripture. There will be a little more uh, healthier portion, bigger portion of scripture in this series than maybe some of the other preaching series. So today we jump in right out the gate, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 through 8. And this, this like paragraph, this passage has been deemed the name Faith and Endurance. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not water for a person, I'm sorry, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So he says, he says, you can't have one foot in, in the backyard of the devil and your other foot on the other side of the fence in the backyard of heaven. It just doesn't work, right? You can't be a, a fence rider. You can't be half in, half out. You can't be, scripture calls it, lukewarm. Uh, it says that God detests lukewarm. Um, this morning we stopped and got a cup of coffee, and, and it's one of my favorite roasts uh, in the area. I love it. And and I, and I got my cup of coffee. I said, yeah, I'll take a hot cup of coffee. So I'm going to get a, a, a nitro cold brew for my wife. And, and she was like, okay, great. So she fills the cup up for, for her, and she hands me my cup. And I was like, oh, this is, doesn't feel very hot. So I took a sip, and I was like, man, I could, it's almost cold. Like, it's, it's just barely lukewarm. And, and my first reaction was, hey, I don't, can, can I just have a cold brew instead? I didn't want the lukewarm coffee. I mean, nobody just wants coffee to be served lukewarm. There's actually studies that coffee is best sipped and tasted for your palate at its proper brewing temperature, right? Um, and here I get a, a lukewarm cup of coffee, and then I was like, hey. And so she says, yeah, I'll get you a couple, a cup of cold brew. And she pulls a little cold brew tap, and it goes, and it's all air. And I was like, you know what? I'll take the lukewarm coffee. And I'm like, doggone it. So I get in the car, and I'm like, ah, oh, this place. They gave me lukewarm coffee. I don't even know if I... God's the same way with us, though. If, if we were a, a, a coffee bar and, and he walks up and he's like, hey, I want a hot cup of, of, of that, that, that roast called Tyler. Yeah, I want a hot cup of coffee from the roaster Tyler. Psst, man, that's lukewarm, Psst, right? I mean, really. That's, that's, how it, that's how it is. God's saying, don't be so, be brewed at the proper temperature in your faith. Be, be released from that vat at the right. Have your faith in check, in line. Come to him with things. Let it grow, let it grow, right? Let your faith grow. Come to me. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be like the waves tossed to and fro. Ah. Let your faith grow. Then he jumps into the next few verses in verse 12. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So we can, first thing, we got to realize we can expect testing and temptation until we go to heaven. If Jesus was, was tested and tempted, why wouldn't we expect to be tested and tempted? It doesn't matter if you were once far from him and now you're so close to him that you never even leave his lap. It doesn't matter how close you are with him. You're going to face trials, 
temptations, tests. Even Jesus himself went through that. Satan said, jump, and your angels will catch you. If you just bow before me, I'll give you all of what you see, all the kingdoms of the world. And then he says, you know what? If you're really Jesus, well, why don't you? This is how he starts it all. If you're really Jesus, and you've been fasting for 40 days, and, and you're hungry, why don't you look at that rock and be like, yo, Big Mac, you right? Like, give me some bread. He tests Jesus, and Jesus could have been like, yeah, man, I know I'm going to get persecuted, so why? I'm kind of hungry. Boom, the rock changes. He, he could have stopped and said, you know what? It's been a really hard time. My disciples are just grumbling. They're just they're kind of irritating me. They're not listening. I, I've tried to help them, and Peter's about to, like, he's, he's going to pull his knife out and cut some dude's ear off. He just doesn't get it. You know what? You're right. I will jump off and flex a little bit. I, you know what? I've kind of earned some, I've earned some downtime. Yeah, I'll take the kingdoms. Jesus could have done that, but just like us, he was tested, and just like him, we're expected to overcome. Let your faith be strong. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, well, God is testing me. God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. Temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Temptations come from that conflict of sinful person and person that is holy in Christ. There are two versions of ourselves constantly at war until the day that God makes us righteous again. There's this fight going on constantly. There's the person that we were born into as sin, and there's the person we want to be in Christ. And it's, it's just like sinful nature and flesh nature to, to you. You kind of get, like, you feel like you got everything under control. Like, I'm, I'm walking on water. Like, man, I'm not even going to sink like Peter. This is great. Life is good. And then all of a sudden, there comes that little, that little bit of weed in your life, right? Just kind of like, oh, I remember that sin. And all of a sudden, it's like, well. Man, that sin's growing again. It's like starting to, and you start sinking, right? You start noticing. The devil wants you to fail. Sin, nature, Satan wants you to fail. And if he can use what's already inside of you, he will. He absolutely will. These desires, they give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it eventually gives birth to death. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. We know that if sinful, if those temptations, those urges are allowed to grow, they will give birth to sinful action. And then if sinful action is allowed to take place and to begin to grow in our lives, it will eventually give way to death. Now, we know we're all dying, but this death is specifically referring to a death of eternal damnation. See, James, he says all this. He's like, hey, I know you're having a hard time. It's almost, it's almost like he's like, you're having a bad time. Get your act together. Quit moping around. Quit, quit hanging your head. Open your eyes. Stick your chest out a little bit because you know Jesus has your back. Walk strong. Don't fail. Don't waver. Quit belly aching. Like, it's almost like he's like, hey, I see you, but knock it off, Right? It's like my dad, I, I, would, I would get hurt or something. I, I, I came, I, something would happen. It just didn't matter. It didn't matter what happened. If I got a concussion, smacked my head, broke my, you know. He's like, hey, it's okay, walk it off, son. Quit, be, quit belly aching, right? It's almost like James is in a sense doing that spiritually. He's like, hey, hold up, walk it off. Like your faith is still strong. You, you know you're made to endure. You know you're all gonna take tests and trials. Walk it off, pick your head up. 
right? The difference between my dad and, and what James is talking about is my dad would literally be like, we'll go to the hospital tomorrow if it's still hurt. And I'm like, dad, my bones are sticking out of my skin. Like, what do you mean tomorrow, right? Like, come on. James, is, he's looking at it. He's going, knock it off. You know the great physician. You know the one who gives you all you need. You know the provider. You don't have to go to a heavenly emergency room to get your faith worked on. It's right there inside of you. God is a part of you. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Pick your head up. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He just says do it. He, he then turns around and James encourages us by reminding us that all good and perfect things are a gift from God and that he chose us at creation. And out of all things, we became his prized possession. You are my masterpiece, my most beloved creation. Publishing or sharing our faith in the one who calls us his prized possession should be easy. When you're loved by someone, you want to move for someone. When you know someone is truly loving you, speaking life into you, lifting you up, it becomes almost innate, it becomes almost natural inside of us that we want to start doing the same. We are reciprocators of love. God is the first one to give love. That means when, when, when he starts to love me, I become a, a reciprocator. I become a mirrored image. I want to do the same. In marriages, you know, when you're having like no fights and things are going good, ten, nine times out of ten, it's because you're both trying to love each other with 100% effort, right? It's not possible to stay at 100% all the time. I get that. But it's because, it's because it becomes easy to love somebody when they're loving you. It's the same thing with God. He says, I'm already loving you with everything I am. Just start sharing. Love me. Do work for me. Be, let your faith be strong for me. Just, right? When we realize that we, that you, and, and all the, the things that you look in the mirror and you see, like, oh, I don't know why God gave me that mole or that freckle or why does my hair part like that, God? Mm, if I could just straighten, if I could just get like, wow, you know right? Like I used to do that. I had this weird like little spiral thing in the back and then I could never get my part right. And I was like trying to train my hair when I did have it. That's probably why I lost it. I was trying real hard, right? God's like, if you want to try to fix it, I'm going to take it. Like, <laughs> that's a whole other message right there, right? So like, like I'm trying to fix my hair, right? And, God, and, and God's like, but I made it that way. I like the way it has a little unique swirl. And, and I'm, but I'm, I'm over here trying to fix it. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I made you. I made you and I love you. I love you despite the weird swirl in the back of your head. I, I love you despite the, the weird walk you have because for some reason I made one leg a little shorter than the other. I love you despite, and he just, and we make these reasons that we could never be loved. I used to say, oh, I'll never be loved. I'm just supposed to give love out, but I'll never receive it. And I negated the fact that God has already given me all the love I ever needed, right? We look in the mirror and see unlovable. God looks at us and says, man, that's the best thing I ever made. And when you realize that, it becomes easier and easier to want to do things for the one who called us his masterpiece, his prized, most loved possession. Not, not really in the notes here, but what you see as weak, God smiles and says, I'm about to use you right in that spot. It's the things that, it's the little hangnails that we get over, we get real frustrated about in our life that God says, I almost think God goes, <laughs> oh, there's my kid again, stuck on the stupid stuff, losing their, their common sense on the nonsense. It's okay, little, it's okay, little Tyler. Just, just, just take one more step. You're almost there, buddy. You could almost walk on your own. Oh, you fell. It's okay, right? Like, <laughs> like, like that's just kind of how God looks at us. He looks at us like a, like a parent with their child, like, 
Oh, they're tottering. They're, they're going to make it. They're not going to make it. Are they going to walk? Or what? Is Nora ever going to get potty trained? God, like, come on, right? Like, I still love you, even though you peed on the rug again. <laughs> like, I got the cast potty trained, but I can't get you potty trained. <laughs> What's going on, right? And God's like, it's okay. Because that little mess you just made over there, I'm about to show myself in your brokenness. I'm about to show my face to someone through your weakness. I'm about to take the things that you think are the biggest struggle in your life, and it's going to become one of the greatest testimonies. You, you may be struggling with, with depression, and God's about to flip that depression upside down and show the world how he overcomes darkness. See, so you might be struggling with some kind of an ailment, but listen, God's going to take your, your struggles, and he's going to give you a story that if you will just open your mouth in faith and do a little work, even in the middle of the struggle, God will bless you as he blesses others. I, I'm so tired of Christians trying to wait until everything's perfect to start their ministry. Just start your ministry. It might be a time of persecution. It might feel like hell is in your front yard, but guess what? If hell is in your front yard, that means God's about to do something amazing because the only time hell gets serious is when you get serious. Faith and works, they go hand in hand. It's amazing. And then I love how he's like kind of like scolding and he's kind of talking to everybody like, hey, pick your head up, straighten up. And then he, he literally goes into the next thing, listening and doing. Right? Like, this feels like, it's like, James, are you writing to toddlers? Because I want my daughter to listen and do. Like, listen to me and do go potty in the toilet, right? Like, like get, come on. And it's like James is saying, guys, this is, this is basics. Why did you get so caught up in the mess? This is the basics. So just listen and do it. Understand this, dear brothers, verse 19 of chapter 1. And sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. You seem a lot smarter. I know I tend to feel at least smarter when I listen more and then I, I, I think about what I'm going to say. <laughs> you ever just like say something, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know how that just flew out of my mouth. And if I would have just listened and, and actually like stopped, I wouldn't have looked like a jerk, right? I wouldn't have just, why do I do that? Be slow, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Simply put, I think this is pretty basic, but thank you, James. God's word saves souls. That's pretty easy. Get rid of all the junk. And humbly accept the, God, the word that God has put in your heart, for it has the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey the word, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But you look carefully into the perfect, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He says, he says, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your soul. Now, it's pretty easy to realize, yes, that's the literal word of God. That's that communication through prayer. But what about, what about beyond just the basics? What if, what if God says, hey, I, I want you to, to write a book on this, that, this, or that? I want you to start a group. I want you to, to, to start a, an accountability partnership. I, I want you to, what if God's speaking to you about a ministry that maybe it doesn't make sense? 
But it's that, it's that ministry, maybe that, that thing that doesn't make sense in you, that God's urging you to do. It's the word in your heart that he is calling you to step out for. In the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the, the temptation, of uh, the middle of the fight, the persecution, step out and do it. That's the thing that begins to save your soul because I, I've learned that when God puts the word on my heart and I begin to, to kind of revert back away from it, I step away, I begin to just get overwhelmed. But it's when I release the freedom and say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I, I can't make X, Y, and Z equal anything, but somehow you do. Okay. The word that you've placed in me will begin to set my soul free. You can, be, you can be a follower of Jesus, love Jesus, and have your soul crammed into a tiny little box. God wants to set you free to the potential that he gave you. But don't just listen. you got to do it because if you look in the mirror and you walk away and forget what you, what you, what you saw, it's just like listening to the word and not, listen, and not doing something with it. God blesses those who hear the word, believes the word, and shares the word. We have to understand that if, if we want to, re- to, to receive more blessings from God, more protection, more coverage, more, if, we, if we want to receive more from God, God calls us to take the first step. It's kind of like, like you want to know if you're the guy or maybe you're one of the girls who had to like step up a little bit to the plate. But like when I, at least when I was going to ask, like try to get Nicole to, to be my girlfriend slash, you know, whatever, dating, whatever phrase you want to put on that. And the next step for me would have been engagement. I kind of wanted to know she liked me like that, like for sure, before I stuck my neck out there, right? It's kind of like God already knows us, but he wants us to show him, hey, you know what? I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to you. So I'm going to take that first step. But when we do that in, in vanity, because we, we often think we're the ones taking the first step, but God already took the first step. He's waiting us on us to take our first step. He, he says, if, if you'll just step out, if you'll just move forward, I will pour out more blessing. I will be, I, mm, God is so good. If you will hear the word, believe the word, and act on the word. Do you want to be my friend, God? Yeah, man, I've just been waiting on you to ask. Like, I already told you that. You just forgot somewhere. I already sent my son. That should be evident that I want to be close with you. But because you're a human, because you're my creation, some reason you just, you, you don't, just ask. Will you, will you be my BFF forever? Check yes or no. He's always going to check yes. He's always going to say, I got you. You have to get woke. You have to wake and, and realize that God wants you to be the best version of yourself every day. Just step forward in your faith. In chapter 2, and we're only going to break down about half this chapter today and pick up next week. But in chapter 2, James goes on. After calling us to, to listen and do, and, and after talking to us about faith and endurance, he, he then goes on and he warns us about prejudice like that's you're just throwing that in there bro like okay but not just like like prejudice of skin but but a social prejudice he, he gives the example of two individuals entering a group one is well off well to do and the other well not so much one is dressed well showered and smelling super fresh and the other is well average dressed maybe even poorly dressed sickly and kind of got some bo some funk going on and how we as followers of Jesus welcome people into our circles 
is of the absolute utmost importance. When somebody walks into our church that doesn't think like you, doesn't act like you, maybe doesn't dress smell, whatever the criteria is in your mind, and when they walk into this church, they should be some of the first people you reach out to. Because Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. Whatever your mind begins to call least of are the people you want to start making sure you love the most of because Jesus says, that's me for you. See, we think it's the, it's the person shaking a can down the street. No, 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 no. It's the people that we go, oh, they're going to mess up the carpet. <laughs> they're going to put their little hiney in, in our church seat. It's, gonna, it's never going to look the same, right? Like, it's those kind of people, and whether we ever want to admit it or not, it's in there. We all fight that kind of prejudice to some degree. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's me. That's me. It's the people that we look at differently. That's me. Come on now. God calls us to a standard, but before he ever calls us to a standard, he meets us where we're at. And we are supposed to love our version of the least of these for Jesus with all we have. He says, don't be prejudiced. Don't have favorites. It's hard not to. Uh, I'm going to have my close few that I organically gravitate towards, but you can't have a favorite type of this or that person. You got to love all people for me. And so he begins to warn us. He says, he says, yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are really, you're truly guilty of breaking the law. For the person who who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. You have still sinned against God. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Listen, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He didn't just wipe away the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Old Testament. There was prophecy, there was, there was a stage being set, there was all of this, this production almost that God was putting on for, for this one moment where Jesus would enter the scene. Cue lights, he's arisen, he's, 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 he's shown up, he's come to earth in the flesh of man. Here is Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. It then says there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So when others look into your life, what do they see? I've talked to people who say, man, I'm I'm better Christian on my good days. Yeah, we all are. We're all better on our good days at anything. We've been studying, and mostly my wife studies and I listen because she's better at studying, but we've been studying all these different metrics to, to have a better workout. And I know to some that sounds crazy, but we want to, especially her, uh, we want to work out better. There's metrics of if you sleep properly, your workout actually is stronger and healthier. You know, if you eat this and that properly and you have this proper diet, and there's all these just metrics. I'm like, man, I never even took into account all the different little bitty things that I can put into my body or, or keep away from my body that affect the way I perform. And, and can I tell you, when others see you, I hope they see the prepared version of you. The person who's intentional says, God, what does it take for me to be, to truly be the light? Some lights burn brighter than others. It's a fact. It's scientific. But spiritually, it happens the same way because 
Well, some lives are more connected. They're more prepared. They've, they begin to study. They begin to say, God, what, if I do X, Y, and Z, well, I, I only struggle with the one thing. Well, God says, no, 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 no. Struggling with one thing is like struggling with all of them. Your light becomes diminished. Yeah, it might flicker because <laughs> you have the hope of the world in you. It might flicker because you want to serve God. But it's when you get serious, when you realize that there's a bond, that faith is not in left field and works in right field, but they're both meeting right in the middle in center field. They're both right there on, on the 50-yard line. The, to- the, co- uh, the coin is being tossed. They're shaking hands. They're meeting. They are clearly in the game together. You can't play the Super Bowl with one team. It would be boring. Nobody would watch it. you got to have the Niners and you got to have the Chiefs tonight. Otherwise, it doesn't work, right? The same way with our faith and our works. It's when we connect our faith to our doing that we begin to be whole in God. It's when we begin to practice. It's when we begin to, to stop. It's when, really, it's when we stop waiting for the perfect moment. And it's when we, we start looking at people like they're valuable. It's when we start uh, listening and doing. It's when we become activated. It's when we say, will you be my best friend forever and take that first step? Will you? Will you? And we take the first step. God says, boom, activation. Go, go, go. Put your faith to work. Put your faith to work. So when they see you, what do they see? Who do they see? And I want to leave you with this last thought. Faith in a gracious, loving God endures trials, works for the betterment of others, and loves abundantly. Faith and work go hand in hand. You can't divorce the two. Does your faith produce good, loving work?